Hey y'all, welcome back to part two here on a Thursday, July 28th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you as always for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your day to listen wherever and however you listen to the Chase Thomas Podcast and uh, this very program here on Blue Wire Pods. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, this is a daily national sports podcast, uh, so make sure you're subscribed and locked in with all kinds of great coverage like uh, Cincinnati football and uh, college football all on a Thursday here on the program. So make sure you're subscribed and locked in uh, both on the audio front, but also on the video front. Yeah, youtube.com slash podcast. Like and subscribe. Make sure you're catching up with us on the YouTube page as we continue to grow that out um there you go uh all things college football pack 12 preview uh more transfer rule changes the college football playoff expansion the big 10 going after four uh pack 12 schools and then um, just a lot of a lot of fun stuff talking about the pack 12 and how that's all going to unfold uh this year so a lot of fun matt green the university of north georgia alumni as always here on a thursday as we wrap up here the thursday edition of the program all right uncle darren let's go Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate. All right, it. welcome back to another edition of the Full Ride here on the Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this late on a Wednesday. Fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green is here as he is at this time every single week. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is good to be back talking ball as we do every Wednesday night. Uh, I don't know if you were tuning into the SEC network, but um, mm-hmm. I've 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 long criticized the SEC network's programming. Like, I know you got to be fair to all the sports, but just run reruns of football games. That's really all we want to see. I guarantee you to get good ratings, but we're going down memory lane with uh, the 2021 Georgia Florida game on uh, on SEC network. So uh, that was a fun one. Even though Florida wasn't good, it's just that game means. It means something different. Uh, so it was awesome watching this game. Uh, Why does it mean something different? Because they just dominated Georgia <laughs> for like the first like two decades of my life. It was just mm. like, it didn't matter how, like, especially the first years of Mark Rick, like it didn't matter how good, or in those first years of Mark Rick, Georgia was always better. Mm. And Ron Zook, Spurrier, Urban Meyer, it didn't matter. Like Florida would just find a way to win in Jacksonville. It was just mm. like snake bit. The Terrence Edwards drop at 0-2. Mm-hmm. Like Shockley getting hurt and we get in the Joe Tereshinsky game, 05. Like happier times. What was the Fountain Bowda game? That was a fun one. Oh yeah, I was at that one too. That was um uh Tory's first Georgia Florida experience or only Georgia Florida experience so far is the Faton Bowda game. It was um that was just Mark Rick giving up. It was just like, I know this guy's not better, but who knows? Maybe something. Maybe we'll catch a miracle. Who knows? Was that a Brian Schottenheimer year? Uh, yeah, that's got to be. Yeah, the okay. last year of Mark Rick, that's Schottenheimer. That's the only. That might be the only Schottenheimer. He only got one year, right? Yeah, that was. The I year. think so. I think Bobo was there until until then. Okay. Um. Yeah. I, it's weird. I remember watching that game at my grandfather's house. Uh, grandma and grandpa's house i remember being over there and obviously not a big dog in the fight and uh for lack of a better pun um but it was one of those where i remember that year georgia fans there was this i don't know if you were like that hindsight's 2020 but there were a lot of georgia fans who were like look fountain is 
Tim Tebow just waiting to be unleashed. Right. There were, he he practiced without a non-contact jersey mm-hmm. and stuff. Like he was, he played like really hyped him up. Stuff. That was like the uh, I, I just I remember that very distinctly of like folks being like you just gotta wait till they unleash Fountain Bauta and that's when <laughs> the offense really opens up they'll really see it he like literally I don't know if they called a design run for him the entire game it's like run this guy like see what he can do like I think he, he threw at least three picks he may have thrown four in that game it was just it was brutal like the Georgia Florida was that the Grayson Lambert year too yeah, so okay. Lambert, I think, as a starter that year is like ten and two or something. Like Lambert has, it might be the winningest percentage-wise, might be the winningest Georgia quarterback of all time. Well, he has the most completions in a row of any Georgia quarterback of all time. <laughs> there, there you go. So, I mean, what else? What else is there? Completion percentage and winning ball games. My dad loved that. Shout out to dad, whose uh, favorite show. So shout out to dad uh, as he listens to this. But he was definitely, I remember having an argument with him about Grayson Lambert. And he's like, the stats don't lie. What else do you want him to do? He's completing passes. Like, what else do you want the guy to do? And I'm like, Grayson Lambert is not good. None of these quarterbacks are good. This offense stinks. Like the Brian Schottenheimer yeah, offense is not good. None of this is working. Um, but yeah, no, that was a, I mean, times change, man. That was a different era. I was watching... Um, I'll still maintain that, like, I mean, my favorite Tennessee quarterback is Tyler Bray, and I'll ride for Tyler Bray until the <laughs> end of time. But, like, he – I was watching some Cordero stuff, um, and he's uh, obviously having a career renaissance at age 30 in Atlanta, which is cool. But he uh, – you were watching some of that stuff, and Cordero did some crazy stuff at, uh, at UT during his time there. But you watch the – like, there are some quarterbacks where you just – it looks so easy like we just take for granted sometimes like their ability to just throw 60 yard bombs and it looks like a five yard slant it's just that same ease tyler bray still has the most ridiculous arm when because he had the same arm size and muscle definition that i did i swear this man was just six seven and had long noodle arms and he like the form was weird he still cash and checks the nfl and i promise you it's because hey do y'all want to see something cool you want to see me throw this ball 100 yards and they're like all right well we got to keep him at qb3 we never know when we're going to need this guy for a hail mary his cannon is unmatched yeah that's him like tyler bray still like his unreal arm strength if you go watch the highlights is still just preposterous like it's jamarcus russell it's ridiculous I don't know how we got on Tyler Bray over here talking Georgia, Florida, but no, well, no, Tyler, we were talking about quarterbacks during that era, during that time period with uh, Grayson no, Lambert uh, and guys no, like that's that. fair. Tyler Bray was a, a legit NFL talent, like Bray, Grayson Lambert. Like he, he got beat out of Virginia. Like the fact that Georgia was having to turn to Virginia's backup quarterback to to have a serviceable quarterback at that time, like I think. While, while Deshaun Watson is at Clemson winning national championships, I think that's when Georgia fans really it, it, they had clearly had enough with, with the Mark Richt era at that point. That season was just rough for Georgia fans. Um, Matt Green, how many days until college football? Well, we have 37 days until college football, and I had, a, I had two real candidates on mm-hmm. this one. And um, I was – so I started to – I started to write one down, but I was like, I wanted to see, I wanted you to guess who, who's the 37, best 37 of all time in your book. Well, he won a national title. He had the biggest play in a national title game, Matt Green. He 
hey, is Tennessee legend forever? Met him uh, back in Georgia. He was a Michael Vick favorite uh, deep wide out um, for the Atlanta Falcons at one point in time. Uh, was a great Buffalo Bill uh, at another point in time. But uh, it's it's peerless price, right? Peerless price. He was an excellent. I knew you were going to go with the Tennessee. I knew you wouldn't miss that one. Mm. He's a national champion. That that, yep. that goes a long way. So Peerless Price was good. He was second team All SEC his senior mm. year. That's who was good. first team. That's good. It's not great. Um. Oh man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> it's on one of my tabs here. I got like thirty tabs open, but um, I'll have to get back to you on that. But I have All SEC. I'll find. It. I'll find it. But um, the same guy was there at the same time. The reason Peerless Price loses points is because he's a wide receiver and he's number 37. This is the you worst, should gain points for that. The worst wide receiver number I've ever heard of. So this other 37 is just an awful number. I think we can all agree on that. Like, no. I feel like there's an Eric no Crocker wants, or who was that? There was like no a, one something. number 37. Was there a Denver Bronco who was 37? Like a Crocker, I want to say. Not there's just not many of them. There's not many 37s out there. No, and I feel like this guy is Ricardo the Allen. 37 in the mm. college and in the pros. I think he's the National Freshman of the Year award is named after him. Finished seventh in the Heisman 1999, back when Alabama was just a normal good college. Oh, I know program. where we're going, Mr. Sean Alexander. You gotta go, Sean Alexander. He was just SEC Player of the Year 1999. Like I said, finished seventh in the Heisman Trophy. Peerless Price was good. Sean Alexander is all-time great. Definitely a college football Hall of Famer. I don't know if he is yet, but will be. Hmm. Peerless Price, I don't know if that – you have to be an All-American, so I don't know if Peerless Price is a true Hall of Famer. Probably not. But uh, he is a national champion. You can't take that away from him. He's a wide receiver, number 37. I'm like, what is this? At least Sean Alexander is a running back, number 37. It's a terrible number. But it's it works for a running back. He is number thirty seven. He like kind of owned. He made it his own. So I got to go, Sean Alexander. Just slight, just a slight edge over over Peerless Price. He turns forty five this year. Sean Alexander. I feel ancient, man. Um, but he actually had like a better NFL career than I remembered. Um, I mean, oh, he won yeah. MVP. Like I mean, he, was... he might be a NFL Hall of Famer. I, I would think. I mean, he had a long good career and the fact that he's got an mvp on on his uh on his resume too he never averaged five yards to carry though his stats in college were not like he just got a lot of carries that's all that happened here yeah he was just a workhorse type guy i don't know uh strong eddie lacy uh, uh souped up eddie lacy to me that's what i'm seeing here maybe except for eddie lacy was like also like part of this Alabama dynasty. So it's like he had the best offensive line and the best receivers and everything to go to go with that. It's like, like, like I said, Sean Alexander, that's back when Alabama was actually like a normal football program. Like they were just, they were just really good. So um, also he was Kentucky's Mr. Football. That's a good what if, like if he, if Kentucky had kept him in at home, wouldn't that have crossed paths with Tim Couch? We've gotten Tim Couch and Sean Alexander on the same team. I definitely would have uh, crossed paths with Nick with Tim Couch because Tim Couch was first team All SEC in 1998 and probably 99 as well. 
Because um, in 98, Sean Alexander was actually second team mm-hmm. behind Kevin Falk and James Johnson from Mississippi State. Don't remember that name. But uh, mm-hmm. first team wide receivers, partly because he's in the air raid, of course, for with Tim Couch, is Craig Yeast <clears throat> from Kentucky and then mm-hmm. Travis McGriff uh, for for Florida. So. Travis Peerless McGriff. Price and Anthony Lucas. Anthony Lucas from Arkansas. Were the I remember Anthony Lucas. That uh, sounds familiar. Receivers that year. McGriff. I'd have to look that up and see. Um, oh, yeah. But, white white guy. You remember that guy? Was he? Yeah, Travis McGriff. White wide receiver. You remember I that? I gotta see him. In the NFL. I want to say for Denver um, <clears throat> for a few years. But I think he, I think he lasts in the NFL for, for a few years. Interesting. Um, oh, I remember. Okay. I'm looking at this. He's number three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I remember this man. Yeah. So there you go. That's your, that's your 1998, uh, all sec. Um, but yeah, 37 days to college football season. So that's, there you that's go. all I got. I like it. I like it. Matt green. Um, things I don't like, I want to, I, I kind of want to bring this up real quick because this was not in our doc, but I do think this is something we should talk about, which is that um, over the last couple of days, there's been a lot of back and forth. And I want to get your perspective on this, Matt, is that the one-time waiver uh, going away. Um, and that seems like they're inching towards the NCAA is inching towards tossing that all together and getting rid of the one-time waiver and that broke last week and there's been a a lot of smart pieces and obviously i don't think there's any coach in america who is in favor of this development um josh pate uh friend of the pod josh pate he had a good podcast about this i don't know if you heard where it's like yes this is probably what will happen but this will also probably spur uh some sort of cba if you do this where like, Hey, if we get rid of the one-time transfer, then quickly we need to do legislation to like lock guys into contracts with NIL or with their university. So it's like, yeah, you can leave whenever, but like your contracts here. So it's like a breach of contract or something like that. But I do wonder if that's what immediately follows. So that's like the one thing that keeps me hopeful. Um, I don't think it's healthy for the sport when weeks leading up to i mean we're 37 days out and you're reading pieces of like why are they doing this why are they making this worse still like there i I don't recall a a college football offseason where so much of the discussion about college football is about nothing with any of the teams like nobody's really talking about the fit with jordan addison at usc no one's really talking about what quinn yours is going to look like at texas Everything has been just the oxygen has all been towards realignment and people being upset about the direction. Like even coaches are talking about it. Like every coach at SEC Media Day was like not happy. Like they're they're all openly talking about where the sport's going. And none of them are like, here's hey, things are awesome. And we're really excited about the direction that our sport's going in. Everybody loves change. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like I'm against change. These are just bad changes. Like there's some like this is objectively bad. And I think there are a lot of people who are like, oh, this is how it always should have been and blah, blah, blah. And I I understand that because this is a good point. I was like, I think 19 of 24 sports, you have always had free transfer rules in college athletics where this is just part of the deal for every like a lot of the other sports, the non-revenue sports. You can transfer as many times as you want and go all whatever. 
the difference is this sport pays for all those other sports and this sport has 85 scholarship kids and it's just different. It's apples to oranges. You can't compare the tennis team transferring whenever to the football team transferring whenever. Like we just saw Bo Allen enter the portal today uh, for Kentucky out of the blue. So they looked like he was going to lose the backup job to Deuce Hogan, the uh, former Iowa quarterback. But I think two things can be true is that like, hey, if you do this and you don't have a CBA type thing locked in and you're not going to the bargaining table with uh, these kids at these schools, which it looks like they are like the Big Ten stuff's interesting because it seems like there is going to be something on that front where they get locked in, where it's like you want us to stay at the school then we want a piece of the next meteorites deal, um, which, hey, they deserve it. More power to them. I agree with that. That being said. If you, I, I just, I think they keep doing this thing. The NCAA keeps doing this thing where they keep running, bef- they, they keep running before crawling. And it's like, no, you cannot, like, we're okay getting to that point eventually, but make sure you have some guardrails in place before you do that. Like, before you do that, there's no rush. Just install the guardrails first. That's all we're asking is like to really think this out and have this stuff thought out and have this in place where it's like, NIL, it's name and image and likeness, and it's gonna be great for these guys. And then be like, oh, whoops, we didn't realize this was gonna be a pay for play situation because we didn't put any guardrails in place to not make that be a thing. Like you should have learned also your lesson. Different based on state laws and right. varies state to state. So yeah, I I definitely agree with you. There's just it, it's it's so many changes all all at the same time. Like I just. It's like, I don't know which one, I don't know which one to, to address first. You know mm. what I mean? Like, and I just clearly like every single coach, it was like a talking point. It felt like, like they don't even, it's like, no one's even going to find them for like, you know, saying the, saying something bad. Cause no one really knows. So everyone's mm. just, like you said, at SEC media days, literally no, if this, like if this isn't good for, if, if no, if none of the coaches like it, like I understand that, you know, they're going to be, you know, afraid of change or whatever. They're going to have to make adjustments, but like, they're also the people that kind of make this sport go. So if, if none of them are on board with it, like it's hard to, like, you need to take, you need to take note of that, you know, and they're Mm -hmm. not just all salty, even though I know RJ Young was one of the people that, that, you know, had something to say about, about, Kirby Smart and being against oh no it was Shannon Sharp right mm. that had something to say about Kirby Smart um, and I I'm like not really sure what he was even talking about like Kirby Smart was like I know I'm not really sure where our game was going but then listed out that he had 95 something guys with NIL deals and 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 all the positives about the NIL so it's like they want you want stuff for players so like I I I, I want to be pro player but we have to like just we can't be changing everything. Like when me and you first heard about this, like getting rid of the one-time transfer, it was like, oh, nice. I think that's a good idea. We shouldn't have the one-time. It was like, oh, yeah, that means they can just transfer whenever they want. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, right. that's not what I wanted. I thought you were saying, let's go back to they have to sit out a year. Like mm-hmm. just that that's what it is. Like you just have to sit out one year. And I think that would have kind of gotten the transfer portal thing under under control a little bit, but I, I wonder if NIL, honestly, if that alone could help and I, it could help the, the portal situation a little bit. If these guys are getting some money where they're at, you know, maybe they're not as quick to just jump ship because at the end of the day, money is what it's all about. So whether it's 
while you're in college or what you could do professionally. And, and that's why these guys are transferring because I'm third string right now. I can't showcase my talents and get drafted and make money if I'm on the bench. And so that's why I have to go somewhere where I can showcase my talents. So if you're actually making some money and it's like, well, this is the school I want to be at, the opportunity is still there and I'm not broke while I'm here. Like, I wonder if that could have a positive effect on the transfer portal. Yeah. I think one of the things, and this is um, something that's going to happen. I just don't know when is like, we need the, we need the first NIL collective to like go bankrupt. Like that's something that needs to happen where you just look at the numbers where like the portal where we're seeing that in college basketball now where you can now show data like this just came out in a piece in the athletic a few weeks ago that like, hey, here's what your minutes look like for an average player who transfers from a mid major to a high major. Here's what it looks like if you go from high to mid, like you can show data now like, hey, you think the grass is green over here. Here's what it was for every other guy. Here's what you, you should expect. Here's where your usage will be. Are you okay with that? If not, you might want to stay a big fish in a small pond. Um, I do wonder where if it's like, hey, this is eventually going to happen because we have all these stories of like kids going to the collective or after it's like, hey, this guy got this. You got to up my number or I'm walking. This money is not infinite at all these schools. <laughs> like eventually, eventually they're going to be pressed to the max. Like this is not going to keep going for like 10 years. This is not a thing. Um, so when you keep that in mind, I think we kind of need to get to that tipping point faster I mean, than yeah. They got a lot of money though. But and they're throwing it all been... now. You gotta understand, like Miami can't keep doing this year over year. So what I we're mean, gonna something s- like that might not be sustainable. But go ahead, see finish your point. Well, what I'm saying is like I think eventually, like we're gonna see unfortunately guys get burned because they're gonna get promised by these collectives that aren't regulated. And then they're like, oh, I left a good situation at a good program with a good NIL deal, but I got a little too greedy and I listened to the wrong person, the wrong person in my family, the the wrong agent or whatever. And then I just got burned and now I'm screwed. Like you're going to have stories like that. That's going to happen where they're like, oh crap, I should have just stayed with my NIL, which is a little bit less money, but I was playing and I was good. And then I got over promised because that is happening. People are overpromising right now. And that is there is going to come a time in the not too distant future where it's going to happen in one of these big universities where they overpromise, you know, and then they just get a bad mark and then their recruiting is going to go down the crapper because no kid's going to trust them. They all talk and then that's it. Like I I don't know who that's going to be. I hope it's not Tennessee and I hope it, I'm sure in your <laughs> case you hope it's not Georgia, but like the money is not infinite. This is still boosters and this is still like, it's not like the money that the universities are raking in. This is not university funded. This is booster funded. This is alumni funded. And that money is not going to keep up, especially if you're losing. Like if you're paying all this money and Mario Cristobal goes six and six or something this year, guess what? They're going to be like, hey, we gave you a lot of money to bring in a bunch of good guys and we're not seeing the results on the field. So we're going to take a couple of years off and we'll see, and you'll have to earn our trust back. I feel back. like these people that are donating this money, these boosters, these actual huge donors, like I feel like money doesn't matter to these people. Like it's like they they're going to give their money to the program, and it's like okay, if I if my money, I'm basically trying to get my money to get us better players to begin with by helping get us a, a nicer locker room and a nicer, you know training facility and all that and hot tubs and nicer football complexes and all that stuff. It's like everything I'm doing, 
I'm trying to get us to get the best players. I'm trying to spend my money to help us get the best players. If I can actually put money in a player's pocket to do that, like these guys are going to do that. And I, I, I think the sustainability part, I think is definitely like a legitimate, like it's still legitimate to be skeptical about that. Like if you look at Texas A&M right now, I think mm-hmm. they're like the 50 something ranked class in the country. Right. But I would be willing to bet it's going to end up being top 20, probably even top 10. Like they have like six commits, I think at the moment. So <clears throat> It's it's definitely I, I question how sustainable it is, but like you said, but they do have money. Like I think they're always going to have money. In ten years from now, twenty years from now, as long as the sport continues to be what it is, at least for the heavyweights, like they're going to continue to have money and be able to to do whatever it is to make them their themselves compete. Because it's like, yeah, Miami, you might throw whatever. This might be your essentially payroll, if, if for lack of a better term, and you're you, you go eight and four or nine whatever, and you're disappointing. It's like, but that's still the money that's required to even be able to to get in at bat, right? So to even have a chance, to even have a chance to get to the dance, you still have to be in that that big spender group, and there, I feel like the big time teams are just always going to spend that. Maybe I have my doubts. I think it's more of like when you look at baseball and ownership groups, I think there's like contention windows like they're like I look at it the same way where they're going to look at it as like, hey, we're going to get you a good class and then we'll see how it looks. And then if it turns out you need more help, then we'll dip back in the pie and spend a little bit more. Or if we're going to ride it out, we're like, we don't like this coach and we don't like where we're at or this conference is too good right now. We're going to take a couple of years off on the whole funding for all that. And we're going to put some money away and then we'll go balls to the wall in 2030. Like their uh, print hubs of VolQuest made this point on uh, the VolQuest podcast yesterday. And I hadn't considered it, but he posited that there's going to be some teams that do the Miami Marlins approach or the Florida Marlins approach where they spend nothing for years, do nothing, and then they're just like, all right, $200 million, we're getting the number one, kind of like what Old Miss did the Kim DG year, where they're just going to go ball out one year and just kill it in the portal, kill it in uh, the recruiting class for that year, build the ultimate class of guys, and then see what happens. And then they're like, hey, we might strike gold this one year. And then it's back to no money and we're back to just hoarding our assets and that kind of thing. Like we will probably see that at some point. <laughs> That's it. Where's Boone Pickens? Is he, he, he's, he's past us, right? That seems like something so. Oklahoma state would, would, would do. But I mean, that's a, I hadn't considered it, but like, yeah, like somebody really just being like, just give us one year of a bunch of money and we'll roll the dice and hope that everything coalesces the right way. And maybe we, we want a natty like, maybe. Hey, hey man, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Um, speaking of whatever it takes, uh, ESPN's Pete Thamel said, quote, one new wrinkle that came up when Big Ten ADs met this week about the playoff is increased conversation about a 16-team playoff. Uh, Ohio State AD Gene Smith to ESPN, quote, 16 just seems to be out there. You can't ignore it. People are saying, like, what does that even mean? People are saying, like, it's just out there. People, People are, are talking about saying 16. it. Like, what? I I just, I don't know how that would work. I don't know. That's a lot of games. We're already at 12 plus the conference title game. So you're looking at like what? 15, 16 game seasons on the reg for Georgia and Bama and Ohio States of the world. That's a lot. 
Um, well, I mean, I don't he was 15 know. last year playing the national championship. So, so yeah, I mean, 16, 17. You yeah. could, yeah, get at least up to 17. Um, this, this would effectively destroy conference championships, right? Yeah, there's like, just no all, reason for it at that point. It's like all of the major conferences, both both teams in the conference championship game should should be in the top 16 of the rankings. Mm-hmm. Like that's that would just be an awful idea. Like I'm 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 like I'm like I'm at like expansion light. Like I'm I'm cool with some expansion. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm okay with going to double digits. Like I I just don't think like with college football if if we're becoming like a more of a a powerhouse like condensed power in the in a couple major conferences it's like the last thing we need to do is put more teams in the playoffs like i think that's what's ruined so many professional sports personally like i think the nba with over half of the league making the playoffs and the playoffs lasting like 2 months it's it's kind of outrageous it's like the regular season literally doesn't matter if you're talking about like we 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 talked about um, Bud Elliott's uh, blue chip ratio. Like there's mm. there's 15 legitimate teams that, like think they can win a national championship or whatever. So while college football is 130 teams and only four make the playoff currently, like that's like seems just outrageous when there's 16 teams making the NBA playoffs or tw- you know a third of the league making the NFL playoffs or something. Mm. In reality, it's we're talking about a couple. We're talking about some Power Five conferences, so it's really four teams out of like sixty make the playoffs. And if if we're getting even less with these Power Five, if if we're getting to a forty team, like three four conferences, mm-hmm. at, at sixteen, where now you don't even have to really be a very good team. Like you could be just a preseason top five team that loses three games and be a top 16 team. Like, it's just, there's, there's nothing you really have to prove. Like Mark Rick's worst teams would have made the playoff every year. And it's like, they were just clearly flawed teams. While, while like, I, I understand the pro model of the regular season is its own entity. And then you kind of build and be ready by the end of the season and, and kind of make a playoff run. That's just not how college football has ever worked. And that's, that's just not why we all love this sport. The regular season is just so important. Like the bragging rights mean so much. Auburn, Alabama doesn't mean anything if if Auburn beats them and now Alabama's still like number seven and they're they're right in the playoff and then they have to play again in, in the playoff or something. Like it's just I'm just so against going to 16. Like 12 is like the absolute most you could you could convince me on because at least you got to work some buys in there and and you're getting some advantage to maybe those like top four teams or something like that. But like there's there's something to going 11 and 1, 12 and 0 in a college football season and, and being at the very top. So I, we just shouldn't be rewarding teams that are going nine and three or like, like 10 eight and four or something like that. Like there's there's usually not an eight and four team, maybe in the top 15, but you see plenty of three lost teams in there. And I, I just wonder, is that what we really want this sport to be? I don't think we have a choice because like they just want more people. Like the, the way they look at it is just that like, Oh, if we have more people in then that keeps them interested in November 
in October where it's like, oh, well, we're six and three, but hey, if we run the gauntlet, we can still make the playoff. Like it's their idea is like it keeps more people invested later in the year. And this is one of those things, again, that TV execs just go talk to people in these communities. They don't care. They're going to be just as invested in the Apple Cup if there are stakes or no playoff stakes. That is not why they're watching those games. Like the Civil War, we're still calling it that, the Oregon State game. Like Oregon State has been a non-factor for years, years. It doesn't matter. Like Were that's they actually a, a factor. Yeah, I mean they've been a top ten team this century. They've been a factor. Hey, shout out to the the Rogers brothers, Quizzy and um, Stephen Jackson. Stephen Jackson. Um, there was uh, Matt Moore, good quarterback for them for a little bit. Um, had a cup of coffee with the Dolphins. Got some NFL starts. Hey, leave leave the Beeves alone <laughs> up there in Corvallis. Um, but yeah, like that's not. A thing they're not going to be more interested in the regular season because there may be an opportunity of them being a playoff team no they're just going to want to beat the ducks like that's why they watch is they want to beat their rival and beat the ducks like the kook fans they understand year over year we're not winning a national title like we understand that we're in pullman washington we're never going to have the recruiting base to win a national title. It's never going to happen. Will we win the Apple Cup, though? Will we uh, maybe win the Pac-12 every now and then? Yeah. Will we have some fun offenses and Rose Bowl appearances? Yeah. Will we have some number one quarterbacks overall in the draft? We got some Ryan Leafs, Drew Bledsoe's out there. Gardner Minshew? Yeah. But that's not what we watch. It's like the idea that like we want an opportunity at the playoff. Like That's not a thing. They just All that is, the expansion, is to make more people care about the college football playoff because no one cares about it now, and the product sucks. And they're trying to fix it because the college football playoff sucks. And it has sucked since the, its iteration, and it will continue to suck because that is literally not what college football is. And it has never been that way. See, I don't think the college football playoff has sucked. Like it's hold on, it's which not, quarter, which quarterfinal game has been your favorite to this point, Matt? Oh, well, clearly the or semifinal game. Semifinal, yeah. <clears throat> clearly the the Rose Bowl, Georgia. Uh, that's Oklahoma. it. That, that's, you can go up and down the list. The only only great game, but I think the fact that it hasn't been number one and number two every year is why the playoff has been justified. Like, it's one thing that it's like, if one and two are just running through this thing and just destroying everybody every year, like, then, yeah, I could, I could say the playoff has been a disaster. But a four-seed Ohio State winning the national championship, like, if they were the best team in college football, like, they should have won the national championship. Like, and that's they – they would not have won if, if we didn't have a playoff. Same mm-hmm. with, with Georgia this past season. Like, Alabama in 2017, like, there's – We've, the fact that we've had, I think, three of the eight champions not be the one or two seed, I think has mm-hmm. justified the existence of the playoff. Okay. Um, we'll see. The fact that 16 is thrown around makes me think. I think it's like one of those things where that's a bargaining chip. Like that's a not, like they're floating out to see the response, but I still think it's going to be 12. I think it's double digits no matter what. I'm just going to guess 12. Well, I think, I think there's a, a, a valid point that it does make – you know, a, a less important game in November now, like between a couple of three or four lost teams now a little bit m- more relevant. 
No, it doesn't. You know, hold on, hold on, hold on. It does make it a little more. I mean, if this is if this is the if it's November and this is the 19th and 13th ranked team in the country, like instead of just being a, an important rivalry game for bragging rights or whatever, it is a little more important <clears throat> for the postseason of the of the sport. Right. However, when you have LSU Florida halfway through the season and it's number three versus number five. There's such like a a a finality to so many of these regular season showdowns. Like when we have Clemson and Georgia, like, yeah, there was a lot of talk that, you know, the loser of this game can definitely still make the playoff. But I mean, to win a top three matchup to open up the season, like that was just huge. And like it, I think Georgia fans kind of knew, like if, if we get past this game, we could, we could get to the playoff. So I think, with these games, it, having it at 16, there's just so many of these top five, top 10 regular season matchups that we get. Like, they're just not going to mean the same thing if, if both of these teams are like, yeah, but we'll still make, make the playoffs. So it's not really that big of a deal. Like, there's just something like Florida going, what, 11 and two a couple years ago and losing to Georgia and losing to LSU won the national championship. It's like, while they were a really good team, like they, they lost the two big games and, and it cost them because that's what happens in college football. Like it, it's not like pro sports. It's not like, oh, well, you know, we gave the Chiefs a tough run. Maybe we'll be able to beat them when we play them in the playoffs. Like it's just it's just not how college football works. Obviously, Georgia got a rematch this past year, but it's like it, it took a 12 and 0 perfect season to get a rematch. Like Notre Dame, it took a 12 and 0 perfect season and then losing in the conference championship. To, to get a, a second chance at, at the playoffs. So it's not like just teams – it's like there's not going to be any more rematches, but I think I think rematches aren't the best for college football. If we're seeing, like, multiple rematches a year, like, throughout the playoff because Auburn and LSU both make the playoff or Auburn, LSU, and Alabama all make the playoff or something like that. I, I just don't think that's good for the sport. I think the the just the importance of every single regular season game – is really what has always made this sport superior to to Sunday football, in my opinion. Well, I don't know about that. Like Sunday football playoffs is perfect. Like uh, the NFL playoffs is an absolute perfect experience. Like there's nothing better than the NFL playoffs. To it's point. great, but it's I'm saying you can win the Super Bowl, you can lose seven games in the regular season mm, and win the Super Bowl. It's pretty rare. Usually, it's a one. But it's happened. Season. It's happened. Yeah. I mean, you, it's there's also, been plenty of teams that have gone 12 and four, 11 and five, 10 and six, and won the Super Bowl. So it's like that's that's losing a lot of games. The regular season just doesn't even mean a, a fraction of. But what you don't want to be the NFL. That's done. the whole point. It's like we already have it. You want to be different. True. Like yeah, you, we don't we want the NFL with slightly worse players. Like yeah, we, we want a different sport. And it the fact that it does have all the tradition that it has and the regular season just being so unique, it's what makes it so good. Like in the English Premier League and a lot of I mean all I guess all the European soccer like they there is no playoff. You just play everybody twice, and then it's whatever the standings are like that. It might not. It might not be create the TV built for TV drama that American sports love with the playoffs, the extended playoffs. But it's like it's clearly the most fair way, and it makes it that every regular season matters. Like how many how many people are there like in American sports that's like 
Oh, yeah, he's a great regular season player, but he doesn't get it done in the playoffs. Mm. So he didn't play good well in the two games in the playoffs or the, maybe the one game. Like Stafford couldn't get it done in the playoffs, right? It's like he – what, did he have two playoff games in, in 12 years? Like, so it's it's like – so we're just going to play a 16-game schedule and just completely ignore who the best players are in that and just focus on this one month here – at the end of the season when there's super cold weather and that affects some teams more than others. Like the, the regular season does need to matter. Like the NFL playoffs are great. And they're always, I feel like every single game comes down to the wire. Like it's, it's insane, especially this past playoffs. It was this past playoffs was just like one of those where you're like college football is just like, they're watching their playoff games and they're like, um, how do we do that? And it's like, you can't. And that's the problem is I still come back to this is that you can't because college football is not like that. The rosters are not the same in the NFL. Everyone's pretty close. Like the NFL wants everybody to go eight and eight. Like the margin for error between eight and eight and 12 and four is pretty thin. It's razor thin. Without a doubt, I remember watching those NFL films shows they would do in the offseason with like season recaps of teams. And you're like, you're just sitting out on, on a random day during the summer and like the Arizona Cardinals are on. You're like, yeah, the Cardinals were garbage this year. And then you, you watch this thing and you're like, you know, they were like, you know, just a couple <laughs> games away from making the playoffs. And they right. were like five and five and 11 or something like that. But but yeah, I, I, the NFL is definitely a way. Uh, a way different product and it's got more parody than any sport in any of the American sports, honestly. But I think it's just all comes down to Alabama and we can't just like, no, it's not like it's it Georgia. Does. Now it's Clemson. It's, I mean, but, it's Oklahoma. But it's like, it's LSU. Georgia just won, George won the first time in 42 years, 41 years. Right. It's like, it's weird how Georgia became, they went straight from like the the team that can't get it done, the always the bridesmaid, never the bride, immediately mm-hmm. to like oh the same old powerhouse winning it every year. It's like no, this is a new team winning it. But well, yeah, kind Georgia of. might Georgia might replace like they've only been to two of what the eight playoffs. So Georgia isn't this true juggernaut. I think like Alabama is just we've never seen a powerhouse like Alabama and I think they are they're Hold on, but how many up. have been in the playoffs like it's just been how many teams so far have made the playoff in eight years yeah it's, but think about how much diversity much more diversity there would have been if it wasn't for Alabama like Clemson yeah might have another championship or so if if Bama's not there but like there could be another team coming out of the SEC one year like Ohio State might have another Oklahoma might have actually won a national championship they haven't even won a playoff game yet because they've been blasted by Alabama a couple and times. And LSU. No, and they lost true. to Georgia, too. They've lost to all three. I'm just – but they didn't get – yeah, the Georgia game was close. No, they haven't won for sure. I think they got blasted by Clemson, I think, like 30-0, mm. one of those. Yeah. Right? Or maybe Ohio State. Uh, Clemson beat Ohio State, I think, 30-0, one of those games. Can't remember. But I think this is just – Alabama creates the same old, same old, like – feeling more than anyone else anybody else because even clemson isn't this juggernaut like they just had this great juggernaut they've had a decade i mean they're a juggernaut but i'm saying like just in terms of just powerhouse program that's just always been here like they kind of they became this they're a new kid on the block over the last eight nine years you know what i'm saying like they're not just the Ohio States and Oklahomas and, and Alabama. But all these schools where they came out of no it wasn't like they just popped up and they just uh they won get no they just 
invested and put a bunch of money into recruiting. Like, it's not like this big, crazy secret. It's like, oh, Georgia finally realized we're in a fertile ground and this is absolutely ridiculous that you're not a powerhouse. And then Clemson was like, hey, we have money. We have resources. We can become Alabama and, and South Carolina. And they just did it. They put the money in and then they recruited. But it's recruited. obviously not that easy. Like Clemson isn't like just one of the richest programs out there. No, but they like, invested. They invested in their staff. They invested in the resources. They were invested in their recruiting budget. Like that's part of it. It's not like these underdog stories where it's like, oh, Washington State came out of nowhere or Baylor did this. It's like none of those schools still win. But at the end of the day, like the diversity is SEC more SEC and Big Ten powerhouses went. Pac-12 hasn't won anything yet. The Big 12 hasn't won anything yet. In this future of the college football playoff, none of them are winning a national title. They are not running a gauntlet of beating like Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Alabama in three consecutive weeks. That's not ha- it's not like that. In, in NFL, that's possible. In college, it's not. Like you have no chance. Like if Wake Forest wins the ACC, they still going into every single season for the entirety of every Wake Forest fan's life. You will never win a college football championship. The vast majority of the playoff people who make this sport, make the playoff, whatever. And they're like, Oh, they sell it on the graphics on ESPN. It's like, Oh, it's anybody's game. It's all, we put all these 16 in here. We shake the crystal ball who could come out on top. Oh, it's one of the four teams in the two super conferences. Wow, who would have ever have thought so when you're throwing out? It could have been Texas A&M one year. It could have been LSU or Ole Miss, whatever. Great, but the vast majority are still not running that gauntlet. It doesn't matter what no, you do. You true. can't fix this. But I see, I just think it's... I think if, I think you just wait out Nick Saban before oh you make an irrational irrational decision. No, you like, wait out a salary cap. That's what you need. The only way you fix this is like an NIL salary cap and a recruiting cap and like really establishing parity rules, driven rules in the sport. Because unless you – another Saban will pop up. Someone will fill that role. No, it's possible, but there's just – there's never been a run of dominance like Alabama's had. Even as good as – Miami was in the 80s and 90s or Florida State was in the 90s like Florida State was just the the juggernaut of juggernauts and they won three national championships and like in all of the 90s it's like in it and like that was insane like Alabama what they're doing it's just it's just absurd even though like Ohio State has seems like the the clear class of the Big Ten like Wisconsin has won the conference a couple times. Like Michigan State has popped up and won the conference. Now we've seen Michigan this past year. Um, even um, even Penn State won it one year. So it's like the Big Ten has actually had a lot of representation. Like we've obviously seen LSU and Georgia pop up these last two. Georgia's won, I guess, only won it in 2017. but obviously won the championship this year. But Alabama, we're going on a decade plus of this now. We're like on 12, 13, 14 years of just this sustained just machine of a program. And I think like that's that's what's made the sport boring or that's what's made the playoff boring, if anything, is that you just know this one team is just a juggernaut. I guess as great as Ohio State has been, as Oklahoma has been, how many times do they get tripped up in the regular season by someone who has no business beating them? Like there's still some unpredictability college football stuff that still happens to them, right? Like there's, there's showing up in, in Purdue and, and a kid has cancer and the, everyone's just playing out of their mind. Like there's something, there's something supernatural happening to Purdue that night. Right. 
it's like that ha- that doesn't happen in Alabama. They're, the only time Alabama loses is when it's someone else's perfect storm and they're the number one team in the country or they have the best team they've ever had and they come in and beat Alabama. Like they, they channel some sort of, I don't know, I guess the Zach Calzada did happen. That's one of the few examples I can really think of of Alabama just losing to a just an unranked, like inexplicably losing to an unranked team. Like it, it feels like the other sports, the other conferences, as much as they're kind of dominated by one team, there's still some, you know, unpredictability to them. There's, they still seem mortal, right? They're just immortal teams dominating these conferences. Alabama's just like this immortal powerhouse, and we can't, we can't Bama-proof the playoff. Like, if, if anything, ex- like putting more teams in the playoffs is only going to assure that Alabama wins it every year because the year that they trip up and lose twice, they still make the playoff. And then on a neutral field, they're as good as anybody. So like having to go perfect, you think about the kick six, like, I mean, what are the chances that Alabama is the best team in college football in 2013? Like probably pretty high, like James or James Winston, that Florida state team was great, but like they literally went undefeated until a freak field goal taking 100 yards for a touchdown at the very end of the season, boom, they lose their division, don't make the conference championship, don't make the national championship season over. Like, if it's a four-team playoff, Alabama's the four seed, and they might beat Florida State first round and and win the nat- – or they're probably the three seed, might just beat Auburn in a, in a rematch. But so, I don't know. It's – I'm just so skeptical of the, of the continuing to expand the playoff. I just – Especially if we're just if we're condensing the sport the into just a few powerhouse conferences, it makes no sense in that timing to me. Mm. Well, we could debate this all night, I think, Matt Green. So we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. Um, We'll end uh, the news segment before we get into our Pac-12 preview. Um, The Big Ten chasing the Big Four in uh, in the Pac-12. I'm not surprised by this where I was texting some family about this, but like I never thought it was sustainable to just keep it at USC UCLA. Like I just never bought that that was it. And they were like, well, we got the LA market. We're done. I never thought that that was how this would go because it's just ridiculous for those two programs. Like that is a ridiculous ask for those schools. And I understand the money is a big part of this, but like, that never made sense to me. It's like, no, you don't. Also, the pushback from the state where they're like, hey, UCLA is literally part of Cal. Like, <laughs> they're literally UCLA. Like, it's a, you're, you're taking, if Big Ten, you're taking some more. Like, if you're taking one or two of our California schools, you're going to go ahead and take the rest unless you want some serious pushback and some political issues here. Like, you're you're taking Cal and Stanford. Haven't I said for the last few weeks where I was like, I Cal and Stanford are like a lock. Like I just I think they're going to get moved over there. And they've talked about the importance of academics and everything else. Like, hey, that like nothing's easier than an easier slam dunk than Cal and Stanford moving to the Big Ten. Like that's easy, um, and that's what ultimately looks like is going to happen. Um, and then like Oregon, Oregon and Washington. Yeah, it's like Oregon and Washington provide the competitiveness on right. the field, and then Cal and Stanford fit the academic elite that the Big Ten. Yeah, loves. like. Yeah, Stanford felt like one of the teams that was going to get left out, but at the same time, you're just like they're just too good of a school, like too big of a brand. Like Stanford, like someone's going to want Stanford. Um, honestly, I don't hate this. Like, 
I think to get if we this is good this is what's gonna get us to a power four like or power if, three I think actually well it's it's possible but I mean the Big Twelve has also reached out about Arizona Arizona State Colorado and Utah well that's what so. I'm saying I think it's gonna be the Big Twelve Big Ten and SEC and I think now if you're but the, the ACC, ACC you got all these teams still in there well no here's the thing like the, let, let's just go ahead and lock this one in too if those four go to the Big Ten like. The SC, Sankey's already just like, all right. So those four puts it at 20. Yes. Yeah, so like they're not allowing the Big Ten to be 20 and then to be 16. That's not happening. So what they're going to do immediately is like, all right, ACC, we're going to get our lawyers involved. We're going to bite some bullets here. But like we already have an ESPN crossover between the ACC and the SEC, whatever. Like you're giving us Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina and Miami. And that's that's it. Like uh, you're now... Uh, a watered down Sun Belt. That's that's what's happening. Good luck to the rest of you, but we're taking those four. Um, and then the ACC is kind of screwed. And I don't know what they do. Um, like no matter what, I think Syracuse, Boston College, Wake Forest, they're screwed. Oregon State and Washington State are also screwed. So by and large, like Maybe we they'll do the form number- a new Big East or something, we can get this yeah. elite basketball conference back. I mean, maybe get that's Duke really in there. That's another thing that sucks is that it seems like no matter what, Duke and UNC are going to get split up because I don't think they both end up like Duke's not getting the SEC. That's not happening. Um, as cool as that would be, though, in basketball, like Tennessee playing Duke, I'd be OK with that. Like you get Vanderbilt in there, Duke and Vanderbilt on the Duke schedule. basketball is that's big enough to like not even care how terrible they are at football, though. I could definitely see the SEC getting Duke and North Carolina because they feel like a a, a couple. Like, you got to take both of them. Right. That's why it, that would really bum me out. If, like, Maryland Duke splitting up bummed me out. And Bud Elliott had a savage quote. Did you see that uh, this week? Uh, Maryland. Oh, I think I may have seen that because someone was talking about Maryland. Yeah. And, like, I think it was Baby Tua. It was talking about like anything less than a title, a Big Ten title is not a successful season for us. And it's like, and Bud had this quote tweet uh, where I'm paraphrasing. It's like, when you take the check, like that, the losses come with it. Like when you left the ACC, this is what happened. You guaranteed yourself that you're never winning a conference ever again. Like you could have won the ACC. Like Mike Loxley is a good coach and they've recruited really well. Like we just saw Pitt and Wake Forest. With, like go in the ACC title game, Maryland. I saw Ab- Ralph Region. Yeah, won the ACC, right? I Back, think like, that's 02 right. Two or something. Yeah, like you can do it there, but you took the money. You took the Big Ten money. You were never winning a conference again. Like that's over. You took the money and you were like, "We'll take." Like we got the Under Armour money, whatever the Big Ten money. Well, we're a basketball and baseball school now. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll just go for six and six. But like. The idea that like we're titles are bust here. It's like, no, that's not a successful season for you anymore. You cannot win the Big Ten. You cannot do it. Yeah, I mean, have a winning record in conference play. I think yeah. that should be your, your it's goal. It's been a decade, in Matt Big Green, Ten and they East. haven't even flirted with it. It's been a decade. They have not flirted with it. I don't know how it. they would, honestly. With Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, all in your yeah. division. Like, it's not happening. You just just be glad you're better than Rutgers, and you're not even that much better than Rutgers. Well, yeah, that, that was a big one. Remember when the they got the New York City market by bringing in uh, Rutgers, New York City's own team, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. People forget. And that's what I'm most excited about with all this expansion stuff. That Big Ten commercial. That's mm-hmm. that's, that's the best commercial on television during college football season. Now now we get to start over in Cali. We got the Hollywood, and then they. 
We, we go over the uh, United States, go through Big Ten country, which apparently goes from from sea to, si- to shining sea, if you will. But, uh, yeah, that commercial, I don't know. I, I'm a map guy. I, um, I, I that always that, that, that commercial is very aesthetically pleasing. There you go. Um, all right, Matt Green, are you ready to do our Pac-12 preview? Uh, do you have the win totals in front of you? Uh, I do have the win totals in front of me. Okay. We, we want to start in alphabetical order. Is that how we want to do it? I know you have some uh, some talking points you wanted to bring up. Yeah, I think we should teams. do two minutes per team. Um, let's try to keep it two minutes per team and not go too long. Winded. I understand that some we might have a little bit more, but um, I think we should go in order of the, the list I got here. Um, my question is, can Utah repeat as Pac-12 champs? What are... What are the odds of that? And then, uh, Matt Green, what is their uh, over-under for this year? The odds of that, I do not know because I do not have that. No, we're not doing that. We're just doing the (laughs) over-under wins. But um, the literal odds, I do not know. But I think Utah absolutely can win the the Pac-12. I think Cam Rising – Caleb Williams is obviously the X factor, right? So, obviously, he could be the best quarterback in the Pac-12. I think a lot of people – think that that's what's going to happen if he's what the fourth third or fourth uh best odds to win the heisman or something at this point but that's putting a lot on K- uh caleb williams and like usc isn't necessarily just ready right now i think cam Rising's the best quarterback in the in the pac 12 personally mm. and i think they they clearly took a were took a, uh, a level up once he became the starter and like I think Utah is absolutely can absolutely repeat as uh, as Pac-12 champions. They had the weirdest season ever last year. Obviously, they have an amazing Rose Bowl against Ohio State that ended their season, but they beat Oregon twice in three weeks' time. They beat UCLA. They beat USC, crush USC. But their two losses. Outside of the upset at Oregon State, it's it's tough to go into Resser Stadium and, and upset the Beavs or beat the Beavs in their home stadium. People know that. They lost at BYU and San Diego State in back to back weeks to open. They were one and two to start last year. It's extremely What is bizarre. a power five team doing going at at two Mountain West teams in one season? You say that, but there's someone else I just saw that opens two of their first three weeks are on the road at group of five schools. And I forgot. You're right. I'll, as we go down the list, I definitely wrote down um, some uh, out of conference schedules, but um, no, that? and that's yeah. kind of why I think like if Cam rising is the quarterback all, all year last year, like I think the San Diego state game is when he kind of took over ha- in that game mm-hmm. and then never looked back. Like I, I think they, they definitely beat San Diego state with him as the only quarterback. And might even beat BYU with him. So I think they're just going to be a uh, as good of a team, if not better. I just think they're just – they're the team with absolutely the, the highest floor in the entire Pac-12. Well, throwing out 2020 because obviously that wasn't a full year and we just can't really count anything that happened there. Um, three – the last three full seasons, they finished first in the Pac-12 South. So people were like, oh, it's USC. It's like USC – they have to beat Utah. They have to prove it. Like I think they should be the favorites um, to to uh, win the Pac-12 once again. But what is the over/under, Matt? Over/under is at eight and a half. 
Oh, over, done. Lock it in. Yeah, without a doubt. I thought that was a little low, a little low for them as well. We should do, um, by the way, a half. Going, we don't need any whole numbers. I actually I did. Uh, there's a okay. there's two. There's actually two of these that were on the the solid number, and I I, I turned them into half. I took I I use a uh, my my own judgment. Shout out to you. That's how you do it. Because anything the hat the the whole numbers is a joke. Like it's nobody just, wants that. No. But yeah, so they do go. They play San Diego State again uh, mm. this year. This time at home, obviously at Florida. I think currently they're like a two point favorite over Florida on mm. the road. So like, I think that's going to be interesting. Like it's seven o'clock, so the heat shouldn't really be an issue, right? Like if they were going and down like a three thirty game in the swamp first week of September. That that heat that home field advantage might actually be enough to make a difference. Like for for an actual night game, I don't know that that's actually a factor. Like I'm sure it'll be. I'm sure it's not going to be warm or it's not going to be cold in 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 uh in Gainesville, Florida. But yeah, I just think they're a better they're a better team than Florida right now. I just have I uh, I have so many less question marks about Utah than I do Florida. Like Florida's got some of those kind of upside question marks, like. Obviously, Anthony Richardson being the biggest one, but that's going to be one of their biggest challenges, and I, I do think they get past that. And then, obviously, San Diego State beat them last year. I think they get past that as well. But get USC at home at Oregon is definitely the toughest one. Like I, I really don't see this team losing more than two games. Honestly, this team's ten and two. I think at at the worst, I think probably so nine too. and three at worst. But I, I definitely don't see them going worse than ten and two. Something went injuries like the only way they go under is injuries like Cam gets hurt or like some kind of crazy thing like that. I think injuries is the only thing that keeps them from because I mean, Oregon, Oregon's year one of Dan Lanning and they just bullied them twice last year. Like it wasn't even close. So there's not really much of a reason other than it being at Oregon to, to necessarily think that that's going to be a loss on Utah's schedule. Yeah. Uh, next up. So we're on the same page here. Uh, if Jack Plummer is good, what can the Golden Bears be? Because they have not had good quarterback play in a while. We thought it was going to be Garbers. It wasn't Garbers. We thought it was like Bo Baldwin was the OC. He was a hot name for Justin Wilcox, longtime coach at Eastern Washington. And obviously it does not go well. Um, that does not happen. And then you look at um, who they brought in, Bill Musgrave, longtime coach. Uh, NFL OC that didn't really work. So it's a completely different uh, play style. Justin Wilcox is still like one of the best coaches in college football. And like what he's been able to just get out of Cal teams year over year is pretty wild. Uh, Cause it's a really, really tough place to win. But if Plummer who has shown flashes at Purdue, I mean, Aiden O'Connell obviously ended up winning that job and has balled out uh, in his steed at uh, Purdue. There is still talent there. And there is the possibility that he is in the right spot in Cal and like we just haven't seen Cal because like the defense is going to be good. I just wonder what their ceiling is if one of these years they hit on one of these quarterbacks and it all comes together because the defense is going to be there. Like what is the ceiling? Could they win the Pac-12 North? Is that a possibility if Plummer is good and the defense is top 30 and um, just scoring defense and everything like that? Like I'm just... I'm very curious. I just want to see what the actual ceiling is because I still don't think we've actually seen it under Wilcox. 
Yeah, I think you've been higher on Cal in general in the last couple of years. Uh, Big than Cal I, guy. Than I have. Yeah, I know I know you you like Cal a little bit. I just I don't see it personally. Like I Jack Plummer, he could be we've seen, like you said, we've seen some flashes. Um I don't know. I just I can't put too much stock in Cal. They're five and a half over under. And what they're coming off what five and seven, I think, last season. Mm. Like I don't know. I struggle with that. I think I think I lean on going under just because I I I I don't know where they get six wins from. Like obviously they can't win the Pac twelve north because even though the scheduling is is a north schedule, there the Pac twelve basically got rid of the divisions. So mm. Obviously, UC Davis and UNLV, those are two easy wins to, to start the season. Notre Dame is probably a loss. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to go – you're going to have to play Oregon and USC from the south as well as UCLA. I, uh, I, I don't see six wins on this team. I don't think they're a bowl, a bowl team. So I'm going to go under on, on Cal. They always play Washington well, um, and they play them late. Um I think this looks like a five-win team when I look at the schedule. Like UC Davis, you know, you win, lose to Notre Dame. I think they'll be favored at home against Zona. I think they'll be favored on the road at Coog Country and Pullman. And I think they'll be favored on the road the week after. Or at they get a, a buy in between the Colorado game. Um, there's a easy path to five and one there. Um, and then if you're five and one, all you got to do is get one more. I I'm doing it. Lock me in the over. Give me the over for Cal. And something I always like to uh, to point out is home home games on weekdays. I don't have a stat to uh, to support the success of home teams on weekdays, mm. but it feels good. And UCLA at the end of the season, it is Thanksgiving, but um, on that mm. Friday after Thanksgiving, I don't know. Weird, weird travel schedules. I just think that that kind of stuff hurts the road team. So that's another game to, to watch there at the end of the season. There you go. Cal so the over. So we disagree there. Yeah, disagree. You're writing these down, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I got our okay. 20. Oh, yeah. Let, should we revisit the 2021? No, we I got, can just I got our now, results now, there. Now we can I think, keep moving. I don't think you'll mind it. So you were 7-5 and five on, on your over-unders last year. Okay. Uh, I was four and eight. Yeah, I know Pac-12. I know Pac-12 after dark. However, I have a good feel for this don't conference. Don't get ahead of yourself, sir. You did. You picked both conference championship uh, teams incorrectly. You have mm. Washington and USC, and I, the brains of the operation over here, had Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 championship. So you you were better though, seven and five versus my four and eight. So. Oof. Now let's get let's get back just to refresh how we did on in the Pac-12 last year. So uh, where are we going next? We are going to Tanner McKee in Stanford Country. Tanner McKee is QB one in the conference. Does that matter? This is four and a half, by the way. Um, I don't. He's the best pro prospect in the. That's conference, what I'm saying. Like right? he's been. I mean, he might go number one overall next year. Like that, he is in the top three of PFF. I think. Like he is someone that everybody likes. Like, I just he's, wonder if Tanner McKee is the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Like, what is their ceiling? If he's truly the best quarterback in the Big Twelve or in the Pac-12, then then yeah, they could be really good. But I don't even know that he is. Like. Hmm. 
I think he's just he feels like the Will Levis of the Pac-12. Like he feels like the best pro prospect, but hmm. like is he going to be the best in 2022 at helping his team win games in college? Like I don't know. And I it's not just him. Like Stanford just not very good. Like Stanford were they four and eight last year, I believe. I mean, like, they've had they a just, rough like three to four year stretch under David Shaw. And it doesn't feel like there's really any pressure on David Shaw. There shouldn't all. be, like, man. Like that dude, he turned down Jets jobs, all kinds of stuff. That man could have left a long time ago. And he was like, I'm good at Stanford. And he he's won. He brought you Andrew three, Luck. Like three and nine. Three and nine, yeah. Yeah, they were 113th in scoring offense With and 106th in scoring defense. Yeah. So it's not great um it's just bad they haven't but it's weird too because they've recruited well like davis mims uh david mims obviously the number one quarterback in the country he went to davis uh, mills? mills excuse me um went to uh their denzel mims uh davis mills went to stanford obviously from jc number one quarterback in his class tanner mckee highly touted um he went on a mission so that's why he's older um at his age at stanford but I don't know. Like he has recruited well. He's brought in some big time prospects. It's just they're not really deep, and they're just like they're still running an offense that just feels outdated. And I don't know. I just when I look at the schedule, it's brutal. I I don't see the wins. Like at Oregon, at Washington, at Notre Dame, at UCLA, at Utah, and you end the year with BYU at home. I mean, this is going to be a really good BYU team. I, I'm hitting the under. I, I'm going to take the under on Stanford. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Um, you, you basically said it. Like, USC early in the season, like, yeah, you do get that one at home. But, like, I don't expect a win there. I think, although they may have, they did they beat USC last year? There's there's one of those games uh, by someone random like just no they got the, crushed by the, USC last or this is twenty someone beat the hell out of USC last year oh like, they did they won forty two twenty eight last year okay yeah I, that was a I think sorry, that they was upset probably the Oregon first. too and yes and then went three and nine so mm-hmm. you never really know I, I I don't have much stock I can't put much stock into the Stanford team so yeah I'm also going to take the under of the four and a half I think dude. That'd be, the their gut. last four games last year, they lost 52 to 7 to Utah, 35-14 to Oregon State, 41 to 11 to Cal, and 45-14 to to Notre Dame. <laughs> That's brutal. They got obliterated. Lost 7 year. in a row to end the season. Woof. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not too high on Stanford. Okay. Um there we go. We agree there. Um will UCLA have the defense to win 10 games? Ooh, that's a good question. I think the defense is probably what it's going to take to get them to 10 wins. They're at, so this was one of the ones that was at eight. Yeah. A solid eight. So wouldn't sure you want to go eight and a half? I was thinking seven and a half looking at the schedule. I would say seven and a half. So seven and a half is actually the number I decided on. Okay. So at the seven and a half, like they're at a conference. It just is just super whack. Like Bowling Green 
Alabama State and South Alabama in one year. Like they were like, we just... played LSU to open last year. We did our due diligence. We did that. We're we're with back their, to cupcakes with their sissy blue shirts and everything. They were able to uh, to to beat the the Bayou Bengals, but. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, that's just uh, I do love how the Pac-12. I think everyone except for USC Stanford. I think that's the only game. Um, everyone has three out of conference games, just right out of the jump, and then we're just conference ball for the rest of this for the rest of the season. I, I love that about the Pac-12 schedule. Um, actually, yeah, because Notre Dame and then I think BYU uh, both have a, a game with a Pac-12 team late in the season. But yeah, looking at their schedule, I feel like it's. It's favorable. Like it's obviously at a conference is favorable, but they they get basically all of the tough teams. I feel like in the Pac-12, like going at Oregon in the north. Obviously Utah, they get at home. USC, they get at home. I feel like it's a it's a schedule that I feel like they can definitely win eight games with, especially following up an eight and five season. I think they had like the thirteenth ranked. Uh, scoring offense last year like this offense is legit so if, if we're if we're gonna set the number at seven and a half i'm definitely taking uh the over on on ucla i am too i mean the three out of the gate you go to colorado that's a win four now you get washington at home you get utah at home you go to oregon uh you get stanford at home you go to arizona state this is a good time to go on the road at arizona state you end the year with Cal. You get your rival USC at home. I I see nine wins here. I see nine or ten um, for this UCLA team. And I just I wonder. It's going to come down to the defense. Like DTR and company are going to be good. They've got um, the running back from Michigan back Charbonnet. Like that combination is going to be electric. Like they're going to be. So, so hold on here. Let's make things interesting. If you're you're. Let's set this number at eight and a half. Then okay, then yeah, I'm taking the over still. You're going to, so I'm now we got a disagreement then. So okay. I'm going to take them under at eight and a half. I think they're an eight win team. You're going nine on UCLA. Bullish on the on the Bruins. I am bullish on the Bruins. All right, that 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 we need some disagreement here. That makes yeah. it more interesting. I like it. Um, we are going to uh, USC. Is it realistic, Matt Green, to expect a plug-and-play division title for the Trojans in year one for Lincoln Riley? I don't think it is. Like, it's tough because, like, I don't want to put the expectations too high on a year one coach. Like, but I feel like this is just so unlike any year one coach we've seen it feels mm. like because this is the era of the transfer portal like he it's like it's similar to brian kelly because it's a guy who who left a powerhouse for another powerhouse but he took some of his star players with him out, mm. out to usc and so that's what makes this so different so the fact that they don't have oregon on the schedule i think I think that helps them a little bit in terms of predicting the the win loss record. Rice and Fresno State at a conference, obviously and Notre Dame at a conference as well. Um, all of those are at home. Like I feel like with eight and a half or nine and a half is the number that this is set at, and that just feels aggressive to me. Like I just like ten and two. I like I do not feel confident that they can go ten and two in year one. Like I, I feel like a, 
like as much as this is a new a new era, like this is Lincoln Riley and everything, it's hard to forget how much they were just kind of manhandled at times last year. Like they were they were beaten handedly by some not very good football teams. And it's it's hard to think just year one of Lincoln Riley, like he he, he can't over just overhaul the roster to that extent. At least we haven't seen it yet. Like if there's ever a, a time that you can overhaul a roster in one year, this is potentially it. But 10 and two seems that seems aggressive. So I'm going to go under on the nine and a half. I think this is a nine and three team. I am going to go under two. Um, I, I, like you said, I will believe it when I see it. I'm going to like I have <laughs> I'm a Lincoln Riley guy. I like his offense. He's an underrated coach. I think on this very podcast, you're not a big Lincoln Riley guy. But it's more of like the Jordan Addison stuff rubbed me the wrong way so much that I am actively pulling against USC this year. Like this this plug and play and like take half of the Oklahoma roster. And uh I just I'm gonna be rooting against them. Like I just I don't want success for usc right away i don't want college football to be that where you can really just plug and play and then they just dominate the pac-12 uh with these guys so i i think college football will be more fun that way if like we're all actively rooting against this team where it's like oh god this super team that just got together all for nil and the transfer stuff and whatever but like i don't know i I don't think so. Like, I don't like how this ends for them. Like, I don't like that they end the year at UCLA and then Notre Dame at home. Um, I just, they go to Utah. You don't want to go to Utah this year. I don't think they escape at Stanford, Fresno at home, and Oregon State on the road unscathed in three weeks succession. I think they drop one of those games. I'm going to say that's three losses right there for me. And then that does not give them a lot of wiggle room. I'm going to take the under because you know what USC does? They underachieve. They are Texas at the Pac-12. Like I, until they prove otherwise, it's hype, man. And until yeah. we see it, I'm not back. I'm not backing it. I'm hitting the under. That was my thoughts. Exactly. Like I was just counting two. Like I was just counting Utah and Notre Dame. Like those are almost like they're not guaranteed losses, but those are the, the, the guaranteed losses I'm putting out there. And then it's like there's probably just that game where they don't show up. Like there's there's the Friday where they play Colorado. It's like who mm-hmm. who knows? Like they just if they just don't show up that week. Like and I like you said too at UCLA like rivalry game at the end of the year. Like this UCLA is a dangerous team in 2022. So I just it's hard to think. I, I don't see them being at the level of just winning all the games they should at at, at this point year one of Lincoln Riley. I agree. Um, next up, Colorado. Any chance Colorado is not the worst team in the conference in 2022, Matt Green? So there is a chance <laughs> because Arizona does still exist, but the over-under is set at three and a half here. Ooh. At a conference, you got TCU at home, <laughs> at Air Force, and at Minnesota. I think that's 0-3 at a conference. I think they'll beat Air Force, but oh my God. Do you? I do. I mean, Air Force, Force. did they win the Mountain West last year? They were like... I think they lost in the title game to Utah State. Um, I think they got blown out in the title game by Utah State. Is that right? Look, so no one loves Air Force as much as me. I'm a big Falcon guy, but 
I don't think they they beat uh, they beat Colorado. I don't think we, so. We could see, but regardless, it's not it's not a an easy win at a conference by any means. Can we and go then, through their last four games? Yeah, exactly. We can't. We haven't even. <laughs> Can done we call that. this the Carl Durrell like goodbye tour? Like this is this is it? Like the, I don't know who did the schedule, but they end Oregon at home at USC at Washington, Utah at home. What? Yeah, I don't know what they did to deserve, to deserve that, but they I, might uh, play the best four teams in the Pac-12 in succession to close the year. Carl Durrell's gone. It's over. Yeah, without a doubt. The fact that you can't just you can't guarantee one out of conference win. And so to get to the three and a half, like you're talking three wins in conference. Like I just, I don't see that at all. So Colorado, this is bad. I don't know how much better it's getting. So well, I'm going to go under. Shout out to Colorado. Half. I'm going under too. Um, Colorado, at least they're doing TCU Colorado at Folsom field. True that. When I saw that that was happening, when, I was like, when, oh, God. This at is least it's be not it. in Denver. Right, like Denver or Jerry World for that game. I'm glad it's actually happening at the university. So shout out to them for that loss at home to Sunny Dykes. <laughs> oh, wait. What were you saying? Mountain West. Um, they uh, they finished second in the mountain conference <laughs> i did not Dude. know they got a they got an atlantic coastal thing going on where it's the mountain what are you talking about the air force yeah they won it's, the division and they lost the, the mountain utah division state. and the west division but utah state it's got utah state at the top of the standings yeah utah state beat them that's what i'm saying utah state beat air force in the title game no they're in the same division are they so san diego state is in the the west division Oh, so I guess it was San Diego State, Utah State in the title yeah, game. And Utah State blew so. out San Diego State. Hmm. Okay. I knew Utah State won. That's what I do remember. I remember Utah okay. State won. So, um, yeah. So, there's, there, there it is. Um, What is progress at Arizona in 2022, Matt Green? So, this one, this was the other whole number we had here. Uh, it was at three. Hmm. I said at two and a half. Because Arizona, I'll lock sketch. it in over. There we go. Lock it in. Taking the over. So what about three and a half? Are you locking that in? Hold on. You're just check. You're. Well, that we, we need to make it an interesting line. That's all I'm saying. So at a conference, they got Mississippi State or at San Diego State, Mississippi State, and North Dakota State. Like, is that zero and three? No, they're beating North Dakota State. Are they though? I mean, they're not dropping the FC. They're not going 0 3 to start. No. They've been recruiting. Okay. Jaden DeLora is going to be under center. I think they start off 2 and 1. You know, I'm a big year two head coach guy. Yes. So vibes are good for Jed Fish. That's the only thing that um, they're not winning more than one game at a conference. I, I just don't Ooh, see. Ooh, I don't know about that. I think they, they can they're beat They're not San Diego beating State. Mississippi State. I would say that's the one they drop of the three. And at San Diego State, you don't just go into Snapdragon <laughs> Stadium and expect to come out with a win. Well, that's like a game where San Diego State, like Brady Hoke is coming out. Like he's like, hey, Pac-12, we're but like, the, you want to get in the Pac-12? You got to make a statement. You got to beat the crap out of the stellar dwellers of the Pac-12 to make a good impression. Without a doubt. I think this is their first game with their own stadium. Oh, is that happening? Yeah, it's like... 
that place is going to be rocking, man. The environment and I'm telling you, Snapdragon Stadium, man, it's it's going to be rocking. San Diego State, they're not going to not going to christen that thing with a loss. All right, they're gonna they're gonna get things started right. But Arizona, it's just hard. They got Oregon, they got at Washington, USC, at Utah, at UCLA. Snapdragon Stadium is the coolest stadium name we've seen in a long time. <laughs> There's not many wins on this schedule, but year two of Jed Fish, I, he's getting over two and a half. Or is he going over three and a half, though? Is that what are we, where are we putting the line? I would do two and a half. I think three and nine feels right. All right. We're both we're both hammering the over there. Like, I, I think they'll probably beat Arizona State in the year at home. So I'm just going to say they have a horrible October and November, and then they end it on a good note. That's, that's what I'll say. Three and nine feels right. For the for the Wildcats. Went one and eleven last year. Mm-hmm. Four of those losses were by one score or less. So Ooh. or not one score or less, one score. Um and their one win and her one win was ten three over Cal. So hmm. gotta go at at Berkeley this year. So we'll see we'll see what they can do. I like it. Um we are going to Arizona State. If you're an Arizona State fan, how do you get amped for this season, Matt Green? Like, every assistant got fired and kicked out, and you still have Herm, who's just hanging around. Jane Daniels is out the door. Like, you thought you were on the rise. Like, I feel horrible for Sun Devil fans, right? Like, with USC down, there was not a bigger benefactor than Arizona State. Because it was like, hey, we're not that far from USC. The weather's still great. Your family can come watch you play in Tempe. It's a fun college town. You will have a lot of fun in Tempe. Come be a Sun Devil. Great uniforms. Great history. And then they didn't do anything with it. They just never got over the hump. And then all the COVID stuff and breaking the rules and everything else happened. And now it's all over. And now we're just like, what are you even doing? Herm Edwards is still just there. Pierce is gone. Zach Hill is gone. Like all these dudes are gone. And you're like, okay, Brian Billick's like an offensive helper and Marvin Lewis is like a helper. And you're looking at this staff and you're like, what is this program now? Like I just, if you're an Arizona state fan, I just don't even know what you're expecting. Cause you're like, we can't win. Like we we're not winning the, the pac 12 this year. We're also not going to be awful. Like there is a seal, a, a floor that's kind of high. I just don't yeah, know how I mean, you get amped. Six and a half is where they're over under. Yeah, that feels about right. It's like they just feel like they're just treading mediocrity now until they change over the staff. Like I just, they're in a weird quicksand that I just, I feel bad if you're an Arizona State fan. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, looking at this schedule, Northern Arizona at Oklahoma State, Eastern Michigan to start off the year, you should mm-hmm. at least get two wins at a conference. So to Six and a half, you're talking about five, gotta be five and four in conference and playing Utah at home at USC. I just don't know if I can find five wins on this on this schedule. Like it's not that they're it's tough because like Jaden Daniels, like while there was all this hype around him, he was never really that good for Arizona State. So like what was he ten touchdowns, ten picks, I think, last season? Like he was not great last year. Emory Jones. Yeah, Emory's a quarterback as disappointing now. as he was, he was better than Jaden Daniels against better competition in the SEC. So 
it's not inconceivable that their offense could get better. Like he brings the same running threat. If I would kind of, I kind of feel like Emory Jones is a better runner than Jaden Daniels. The production was similar. I think Daniels had more touchdowns, but the, the passing efficiency, like even though Emory Jones is flawed, he was much more efficient than Jaden Daniels last year. So like there's a chance they can get to seven games. Like I'm or to seven wins. Like I'm I like if it if we if there wasn't all the things going on off the field, I feel like they I feel like they can get to seven games. But it just feels like like you're talking about. Like it's just a negativity around the program that it it doesn't feel like they're, they're not going to give their best effort every every Saturday, right? There's going to be those couple of eggs they lay throughout the season. And I think they make a bowl game, but I don't think I can go six. I don't think I can go with seven wins. So I'm going to go under the six and a half. Yeah, I don't know. Like this, I'm going to hit under two. This feels like six and six, five and seven. I, I just, yeah. this all feels like a weird burn waste of a year in Sun Devil Country because I think you just have to do a culture reset and a program reset and they're just not doing it. Glenn Thomas and Brian Billick are doing things like Glenn Thomas was like an important quarterback coach for the Falcons in like 2012. I just, I, I don't understand what's happening here. Um, so it's just a weird spot to be in. If you're if, a, a if, devil if the, fan, if the Bo Nix logic applies to, or if, if the, the same logic applies to Bo Nix and applies to Emory Jones, who knows? They could be a sleeper. Oh my God. Um, I will be sleeping <laughs> on uh, the Arizona state summit devils this fall. Um, glad Emory Jones is not on the calendar. Oh, I know you'll be up. You'll be up watching those games. I know Arizona State this year. I don't know. There, I mean, hey, I'm going to be tapped in for the other school at Tucson. Like, I think Jane Delora and Jed Fish. I'm, I'm curious. I think they'll be feisty. Um, if you're, oh, never mind. Next one, the Beavers. Can the Beavers be good enough to contend in the Pac-12 North next year, Matt Green? I personally don't see it. Like, mm. I think they might have the toughest schedule in the Pac-12. Mm. Um, just looking, I, I wrote that down, but now I don't have the schedule sitting there in front of me. But, yeah, like out of conference, they go to uh, – they have Boise State to open up. Then at Fresno State, like Fresno State, BYU, and San Diego State, they I, I respect the way they schedule. Like, they get as many of these Pac-12 games as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Montana State. Like, for someone like Oregon State, like, I don't know that that's a guaranteed win. Like, they're they're one of the better teams in uh, FCS last year. But then you got USC at Utah, at Stanford. Like, I guess we're, we're counting Washington. Washington State feels like the Mississippi State of the Pac-12. Hmm. That, like... It feels like when you're looking at anyone's schedule, that's one of the weaker games. But they don't they don't go winless in the conference. Like they they win games. So it's like it's like whoever they beat, you're not really expecting them to beat them. But they're they're usually in a bowl game by the end of the year. So I uh it, it's hard to find what is over under on Oregon State six and a half. That just seems I don't know, for the toughest schedule in the Pac-12, the fact that I could see them losing well, – I mean, they could go 3-0 at a conference. But with Boise State and Fresno, I think they drop one of those games. 
So two and one at a conference, you're talking finding six wins in the conference. I think that's a lot to ask of Oregon State. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under on the Beavs. Well, they were 20th in the country in running the football this past year, and then when you look at their passing, they were 80th. Uh, and passing offense um, but then their defense everything is in the 50s like I'm just I think there's probably some middle ground the quarterback spot they return their starting quarterback but I just like you said tough schedule defense is just painfully below average um, but what happens if they can creep into that 30 per the 30 zone and then be somewhere in that 30 zone for offense too I don't know this man six and a half is I'm going to go under, and it hurts me. But Jonathan Smith is just an excellent, excellent coach, and I would not be surprised if they're better than expected this year. Oh, man, I'm shocked. I know you're a big Beavs guy. It hurt me. I thought for sure you were going over on the Beavs. Look, I didn't want to do that. Six and a half? Oh, they they won seven last year, right? Is that including a bowl win, though? Um, You might be right about that. Um no. So they uh they lost to Utah State in the LA Bowl to mm. finish seven and six. They had seven and five regular season last year. There you go. So uh but yeah, they both of us are Utah, going under here. Beat Washington, beat USC. Pretty amazing year for them. They also got Purdue, Idaho, and Hawaii in their non conference. They had a better non conference schedule last year than they do this year. Um that's a problem. Uh next up chance that the Huskies bounce back immediately in the Pac-12 North. Like they just, Jimmy Lake, they ripped the Band-Aid off. Kalen DeBoer, who has just excelled at Fresno State, um, obviously putting on an offensive clinic there, not missing a beat. He was a great OC at Indiana. You go through it and you're like, all right. They were like, hey, Jimmy Lake, great recruiter, great defensive mind, but the offense in Jim Donovan last year was an absolute dumpster fire. We got a lot of quarterback talent uh, at quarterback in Washington. There's a lot of blue chippers all across the board. It's not like they all left, Jimmy Lake. I I like the Huskies' bounce back odds. Like, I think this offense is going to be a lot better this year. I think Kalen DeBoer is a really good coach. I don't know if the recruiting will be enough. Like, he's not going to recruit like Sark or... Um, Jimmy Lake did or Chris Peterson, but I think Washington is due for a bounce back year. And I'm curious to get the, the over under from you. Uh, seven and a half. Yeah. I think Vegas likes them. I think there is some money moving on uh, Washington and the offense was just like, I just don't know if that's ever going to happen again. There, Jim Donovan was so bad. And that was something at the time that everyone across the country was like, this is going to be a disaster. And then it was a disaster. And uh, with Morrison company, like it was just horrific. I don't think that's going to be the case next year. I think this is going to be a team that bounces back and is fun again immediately on offense. I, I think that there is a possibility they immediately jump back into uh Pac-12 North contention. What do you think? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, because they were 37th in the country in, in uh, scoring defense last mm-hmm. year, but they were 108th in scoring offense. Like, the offense was just awful. So the biggest thing is Michael Penix Jr. to me mm-hmm. because I was – I would say I was pretty high on Michael Penix Jr. going into 2021. Mm-hmm. Like, and he just – 
he was not the same guy that we saw pre-injury. And so I just, you know, there, he is another year removed from the injury, but I just, I don't know how much stock I can necessarily put in him. I, I don't know how good Washington's going to be, but I feel like they have a really favorable schedule. So that's why I kind of struggle. Like they have Michigan state at a conference. It is at home. So I feel like that is a winnable game. But I think most people would would probably pick Michigan State there. But with Kent State and Portland State, like those are, you know, those should be easy wins. But to not have to play Utah or USC from the South, like I think that's pretty that's pretty fortunate for from a schedule perspective. So while I don't see them like necessarily being a contender with seven and a half, I think they can get to eight wins with the schedule. So Ah, that feels that feels like a lot with year in year one of a new head coach. I feel like I'm going back and forth. What did you say? Did you say over or under? I'm saying the over. You're going over? Yeah. The I think schedule... they end pretty hot. Like I think they beat Colorado and Washington State in the year. I think they beat Portland State, beat Kent State, lose to Michigan State. Um, so it's four wins right there. I think they beat Stanford at home. It's five wins. I think they beat Arizona State on the road. That's what, six? Um, beat Arizona at home. That's seven beat Oregon state at home. That's eight. And then I think they beat Cal on the road. That's nine. I think nine and three is possible. I'm going to say eight and four, nine and three, something like that. Wow. I think you sold me. I think, um, I don't know that they're that, that, uh, how good they're really going to be, but I think it's tough to find five losses necessarily. So I'm, I'm also gonna, gonna go over the, uh, the seven and a half. I like it. Two left. Um, Dan Lanning, does the coordinator hire pay off in Eugene? Uh, In year one? In year one, where it's just the unproven, like we're just going in, like, because they haven't done this. Like Willie Taggart had experience when they brought in Mario Cristobal. He had head coaching experience. Dan Lanning's a huge wild card. Like this is... It's interesting to read the quotes from different pieces in the offseason where a lot of folks around college football are very curious to see how he does because I don't think they thought he was going to get this big of a job when leaving uh, Georgia. It seems like this was a pretty big stunner to a lot of people because it's just a huge job. Like Oregon has the resources to be, they have been the top of the top in the PAC 12 for the last decade. They have been what USC has always thought of themselves as like Oregon's been that they've been the flash. They've backed it up. They've backed up everything in their recruiting and quarterback play, putting people in the draft uniforms flash, like, but they've won games. They've been to the playoff. Like they're, they're doing stuff. Um, I don't know. Like, is this, did he make the right coordinator hires with, uh, Kenny Dillingham as his OC, uh, who's bounced around a lot. He was at Auburn, obviously, before that. And uh, he was uh, Norbell's guy at Florida State. Um, but, I mean, Bo Nix, year one. Like, it's just a huge wild card with Bo Nix and Dan Lanning uh, in the Pac-12. I just have no idea what to make of them. No, I think it, it's hard to know what to make of that. I feel like we all want to pencil in every defensive coach is just going to want to run the ball and play dominant defense but like we really have no idea what what dan lanning's offensive philosophy is right Mm -hmm. like but we do know bo nix is is a pretty good athlete like he's he's been one of the more frustrating quarterbacks uh i would say to watch because you see the talent and you see the plays he's capable of making 
but you also see the inconsistent plays and the the poor decision making and those sort of things. But with that said, like they had very underwhelming play at quarterback in last season and still were a pretty good team. Like I think Bo Nix can come in there and make them a little better. The, the over-unders at eight and a half, like obviously I would probably say Georgia's a loss at a conference to start the season. Um Eastern Washington's a win and BYU at home. That should be a win. Maybe that's, I think that's a toss up game at a conference. So that's not great. If you're going one and two at a conference to, to get to nine wins. But after that, like it's a manageable schedule. Like you got UCLA at home, you got Utah at home, you got Washington at home. Like it's, those are some of your tougher games. You, you don't have USC in the regular season. I uh, I tend to think that this this team can win nine games. You do go to Oregon State on a Friday night um, after Thanksgiving. I think this can be a nine win t- a team that loses two conference games and loses to Georgia at a conference, and and we see a nine and three out of them. Eight and four feels right to me. Eight and four yeah. is what I can't get away from with them. I think it's just. I think it's going to be a little bit of a transition. I'm not betting on Bo Nix 9-3, type thing. I just, I don't think it's going to be that clean offensively. I have real concerns about the Dillingham, Bo Nix, just recreating that Auburn offense from a couple of years ago with Gus Malzahn, that last uh, little hoorah there. I don't know. I, I just can't shake that feeling. I don't think they're going to be in the Pac-12 title game again. And I think this feels like a 8-4, and 7-5 rebuilding year for uh, I think it's gonna be tough for him in year one I could definitely see it I I I could see eight and four for sure eight and a half that's a real tough line I'm taking the under so uh we got a disagreement there I'll go I'll go over on the eight and a half for Oregon okay we end with the Cougs um Matt Green they promote from within uh the guy who replaced um their head coach who did not get the shot um, and then did not keep his job because he did not get the shot. Um, and that was just something we all moved on from. That was just like crazy, crazy at the, at the time of like, what's happening here. Is he really going to lose his job for this? And that is exactly what happened with Nick Rolovich. Um, he is no longer the head coach at Washington state, former, uh, university of Hawaii head coach and had some success there, but Instead, his D.C. is now the head coach of Washington State. They are going through the run-and-shoot offense. They have a really fun offensive coordinator who is running things over there. They lose Jacob Delora to uh, Jaden Delora to um, Arizona. And <laughs> Jarek Carantano is not going to be under center. But they have my favorite potential quarterback in this conference. As uh, like So Jake Dickert has – he goes into the FCS. Okay. Do you, I think we've talked about him before. He was yeah. the, the coolest FCS player to watch last year. And he is now in Washington State. No one's going to watch him at all next year. He may not be the guy under center, but it seems likely that Cam Ward is the quarterback in, uh, in Pullman next year. They're going to do four wide receiver sets all the time. Cam Ward's going to be the funnest, like the most fun quarterback that no one watches until it's just like on SportsCenter highlights, whatever. They're like, oh, what's going on in Coug country? That's going to be a thing. 
I think you just said it. People will be watching because he's he's an X factor for Washington State. I think like Cam Ward's going to be fun, man. He put up huge numbers for Incarnate Word last mm-hmm. year. So obviously it's a different level of competition, but I mean they were they were slinging that thing around, and this guy is, has some athletic ability too. Like I um. I like Washington State. I think they're five and a half is where they put this. Oh, uh, pound the over. Lock it in for me. Give me the over. Exact, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like they do play Wisconsin uh, mm-hmm. at a conference, uh, have to go in Camp Randall. That's probably a loss there. Um, you got to go, you got to play, you get Oregon at home. Uh, you got to go at USC, Utah at home. Like you're probably going to lose some of those better teams in the Pac 12, but. Outside of 2020, all normal college football seasons, the last time uh, Washington State missed a bowl game was 2014. So a lot of consistency with Washington State's program, despite feeling like a redheaded stepchild, like kind of forgotten about program out West. Nobody wants them in their conference uh, with all the all the different moving parts of conferences. But at five and a half, I, I like them to make a bowl game. So I'm, I'm going over as well. I like it. I like it. Um, well, how many so, did we disagree? Where are we at? So we disagreed on Cal. You went over. I went under uh, the five and a half. Uh, Oregon, I went over. Eight and a half, you went under. And UCLA, you went over the eight and a half. I went under. And I think that's it. We agreed on the rest of them. And so in the Pac-12 championship, I'm going to have 10 and 2 Utah and 9 and 3 USC. Who are you putting in there? What were my numbers? Hold on, I got to pull this back up cuz I I think it needs to match. Um based on what I said. Who had- So you you went over UCLA, so there you got them at at least 9 wins. No, but I think I have the I think I have Utah in the south. No, but there's no divisions. Oh, that's right. So you um, just, it's just the two best records. Right. I'm going to say Utah and UCLA. Utah, UCLA. Lock it in. And then yeah. who's winning the conference? Utah. All right. So we agree on that. We uh, we'll both have the Utes mm, winning the... Uh, I don't like that we both picked the same one. Winning the Pac-12. Mm. Hey, it is what it is. Isn't that funny? Like all this hype with USC and neither of us put them in the title game. No, I did. I, I oh, you put USC in. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So I we'll see. They're the kind of team that, like, if they get in the title game, like by that point in the season, they're probably, you know, more clicking on all cylinders. I mean, if they're so in the title game, I think they're going to win. Like that means they're clicking. Like you said, like they got over the hump. I think they. If USC finds their way in, I think that means it's definitely possible. Right. I got Oregon at nine wins too. If I'm going at over eight and a half, but um, you can't. You're not going to do the bonus. You could have USC and Oregon this. both at nine and three, and I guess they could be a tiebreaker. So no, I'm just I'm trying to be consistent with my my overrunners right. as well. So yeah, we'll see. We both got the Utes winning the winning conference. Now that people are finally picking them, they'll probably uh, lay an egg this year. Who knows? There you go. Matt Green, we can find you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Um, but yeah, this is fun. Next week, Big 12. Is that where we're going next? Big 12. It seems like the natural progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ACC, Big 10, SEC. Last, I think we got to close the SEC, right? Yeah, man. Got to. We're uh, only a few weeks. Seven weeks from uh, from Saturday. Wait. 
No, not five seven. Five weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, it's I not seven. I was like, seven times five is doing a little bit. Yeah, there's no there. way. As someone yeah. who has school his last semester, <laughs> I don't think it's that far away. Five weeks till from this Saturday. So uh, I'm, I'm jacked about it, as there Dan Quinn would say. <laughs> there you go. Matt Green, always a pleasure. And I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. All right, y'all. That'll do it for part two here on the Thursday, July 28th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast and the Blue Wire Pod Network. Hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Matt Green on all things college football here on the full ride. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however you get your podcast. It helps the other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow. Tell a friend, member, coworker, whoever about the Chase and Most Podcast here at Blue Wire Pods, why you like listening to the show and why you think they would like listening to it as well. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. And of course, love to hear from you guys at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Jam Pack Friday show for you guys coming up tomorrow, but that will do it for today's edition of the program. Uh, you guys have yourself a great Thursday, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. <laughs>